Hey people, we're back with another episode of Black Pod Fridays because teachers are black people too. Today, my guest is an educator. He's not an in-class teacher per se, but he's definitely a teacher that uh, works with lots of students and guides them. Uh, he's also a coach, a basketball coach, and uh, my friend, my, my main man, Mr. Jamar Smith. How are you doing, Jamar? That's too bad. How's it going? I'm good. Thanks for uh, joining us. Uh, I appreciate your time. And uh, so let's get into it. Uh, I'd like to start with uh, your background. Uh, because the African diaspora is diverse. So so who, who are you repping? Oh, okay. So first off, yes, I don't know if anybody can visibly see, but I am black. Uh, <laughs> I've been for the last 30 years. Um, so I have some experience in this category, um, <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, uh, my mom is from St. Vincent, um, grew up in Trinidad. My dad is from Jamaica. Um, so a little bit of mix of the islands there. So I kind of rep like that St. Vincent, Trinidad, Jamaican kind of thing. St. Vincent, where's that? It's like a small island, um, near trinidad i guess you could say not many people know about it it's known for actually um <laughs> never mind <laughs> um no but what it's known for is actually a lot of the marijuana industries come from that island so like a lot of the stuff that like initially like originated like a lot of like the stuff that gets shipped out to the different countries where it is legalized even canada come from there okay okay so Geographically, is close to Trinidad, but yeah. culturally, is close to Jamaica. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get it. Yeah. That does I don't make know. sense. I don't know. All right. All right. So, um, so you were born in Canada, yes? Yes, born in Canada. And uh, Brampton? You grew up in Brampton? Where did you uh, go to school? Born in Toronto, kind of first couple years, Toronto, then Mississauga. Uh, went to school. I was actually one of the first students at um, the school Fallingbrook Middle School. And then. Oh, Fallingbrook, that's nearby. Yeah. yeah, right nearby. And then I was supposed to go to Rickanson, but then we moved to Brampton and I ended up at Brampton Centennial. And uh, university? University Sheridan, and then I went to Laurier. Cool, cool. So um, let's think about your public school experience. So, you know, pre post secondary, I guess. Because uh, Black Lives Matter and uh, the Black lived experience matter. How many Black teachers did you have in your life before post-secondary? In regards to like, I was actually in their class? Yes, sir. One. And it was my last year, my fifth year, because I stayed a fifth year in high school. My fifth year in high school... There was a teacher, Miss Harriet, was my first actual teacher that was black. She taught, I think it was anthropology. Yeah. And you took her class. Was Did you take her class because she was black or it just so happened? I literally took her class because she was black. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> what I figured. Yeah. You specifically asked if, if, if it was a teacher that you were in, in, you know, that you were in the class of. So were there other black teachers that you... Uh, in my experience, personally, I wouldn't say my teachers were black in the school. It was a lot of supporting staff. So a lot of the TAs were black, I would say. Um, 
not that many teachers. I know in high school there was like Miss Harriet, and there was another history teacher and an English teacher. And then in middle school, uh, I don't think I had a black teacher, but I had Mr. Chan. Mr. Chan was pretty much black. (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right. The Black Asian uh, Alliance. Yeah, the Black Asian Alliance. All right, it's all good. Um, What about uh, coaches? Because you're into sports. Yeah. Were were any of them black? Yeah. So middle school, no. Um, Outside of school, yes. So I had, like, coaches outside of, like, school that were black, but in middle school, no. And then in high school, again, my basketball coach was a TA. So he's one of the supporting staff who kind of did all the coaching. He did coach, like, practically every team. Well, like you did. Like you yes. did when you were a TA. Well, that's crazy. That's He's one of the reasons why I, like, became a TA. Cool. So what about – did you uh... – did you have any experiences with principals? I want to ask this nicely. <laughs> when, while you were in school? Man. <laughs> it's crazy. And I, I, it's, I love when I get to kind of tell this story because a lot of students see where I was in the position that I was in. And even like the position that I'm in now outside of the school board through coaching and they saw me as like probably like goody two shoes who went about his day, teacher's pet, never got in trouble. And I ended up and I landed in this position, not realizing that I, I was jumping a lot of the same hurdles as they were. So I remember uh, getting into like grade nine. I was good until literally grade nine. I can't say I had like crazy experiences with principals beforehand. But when I got to grade nine, it got really, really tough, Um, especially that my brother went to the school prior. So I came in with a name of like, and he already did not have a good relationship with that principal. My mom didn't have a good relationship with that principal. So I remember I went from not being suspended once in my entire life to in grade nine. I think I was suspended like eight or nine times. Wow. <laughs> and um a lot of the reasons when like I look back and I say it out loud to myself, I'm like, yo, this is crazy. And a lot of the times they would try and send me home, but my mom really disagreed with that. So um she would always fight a lot of suspensions and kind of explain that it doesn't make any sense for him to be at home if you want to punish him or give him a consequence, send him in the contact room. <laughs> So this is like the funny story and have him do his work there, have him away from his friends. But there's no reason for my, I have to work. He's just going to be at home by himself. I'm going to leave the house. He's probably going to watch TV and play video games and get three days off of school. Yeah. I remember thinking that when I first started teaching about learning about suspensions, Yeah, that it's a vacation for a student who did something wrong. That doesn't seem like a good idea, right? Like, and a lot of the reasons why I was suspended for, to be honest, I can honestly say I was never in a fight. I've never swore at a teacher, never stole anything, didn't skip a lot of classes, but I was suspended seven, or, I think it was like eight times in grade nine. And then after that, <laughs> did it get better or, or what happened? It, it got a little bit better actually because my vice principal retired. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we got a new principal in who uh, gave the complete opposite energy, 
who I can honestly say like I was great and like built a relationship with, which after literally he left grade 10, I probably was suspended at least 12 times between grade nine and 10. And then I was never suspended ever again. Or before that, right? Because you said you'd never been. Yeah. So 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 that highlights. So go ahead. Yeah, I was suspended for a lot of like crazy things. So it's like, it was crazy to see how one person dealt with it and how the other person dealt with it. Can you give me an example of, of the reason you were suspended? Um, I remember in my grade nine class, um, unfortunately, Mr. Fon was a science teacher um, <laughs> where I was sitting in class and I actually couldn't get something. Like the class, It was like a regular classroom environment. We were in a group. And um, one of my classmates who was in my group at the time was like, Jamar, did you remember to bring um, like the cheat sheet? I went in my bag. I forgot it. <laughs> so I was like, oh, shoot. I forgot it. But uh, I lived right down the street from my high school. So I guess he heard the oh, shoot out loud. So when I went to him, he's like, why are you swearing in the classroom? I was like, sir, I didn't swear. I said, shoot. Um and I skipped over him because I was like, sorry, I didn't swear. I said, shoot, but can I run to my house quickly and grab the cheat food for the assignment? He took that as very disrespectful that like I ignored him saying that I wasn't swearing <laughs> and then sent me to the office. I had a couple classmates admit that I said, shoot. Um, it didn't matter because for some strange reason, I was still like being a class disruption, even though we were working in group work and we were all talking. And yeah, I was suspended for two days. I was like, oh, okay. That was my first suspension ever. That's brutal. <laughs> and then my second suspension, I think, is uh, I came to class. It was late. I came to class late. Um, and that's the one that my mom really argued, where it was like, um, I had science on the third floor after gym class. So it was only that specific class that I was like late to. So those two minutes late, two minutes late, which I will admit I was late. They suspended me for being late. I just feel like those aren't suspendable offenses. Like yeah. when, when I think suspension is like you're 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 a danger to right because you have to be removed from that class, right? The idea of suspension is you're removing somebody from from their right to learn. And there must be a huge reason for that, right? It has to be dire. Like, okay, if this person comes back, somebody else won't feel safe, et cetera, et cetera, right? Or, or you've shown that you are not caring for the safety of others. That's the only reason I can think of that that you want somebody suspended. Not like being late, really? Yeah, like, it, was, come on now. <laughs> it was a weird situation because I can honestly say similar things happened when I was like in the later years of high school and I had a different principal who simply just said, okay, Jamar, we're just going to wrap you up in gym earlier. Right. That's the proper solution, <laughs> right? The solution is how do we stop you from being late again? Not like don't come to school. Like how does that solve anything? You're only having like a problem with this one class. It's not like you're late to all your classes. Man. Um, and then the last one, I bet I can honestly remember this is like the biggest story that I always tell people because I ended up working beside this teacher. So it's like one of the greatest stories. I, I always love telling this story. So I had, I don't know what it was with science teachers. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> a grade 10 science teacher. Um, Sensing a actually, pattern here. Uh, with, uh, 
the subject matter. No, but it's crazy because I actually always did well in science. <laughs> but I guess one day I legit had a conversation with like the teacher where um, it was like the second day of class. And I always I was always taught to be honest. You don't speak your mind. Um, just make sure you do it in a respectful way. So he asked a simple question on like the get to know you sheet, right? Where he's like, what do you want to learn new about science or et cetera? Something, a question surrounding that. And I just was honest on the sheet. I said, um, I'm more focused about my grade in this class. I'm a person who is not very interested in science. Guess he took that as like a slap in the face where I was like, this just a get to know you sheet to let you know that I'm just interested in my grade. I'm not not too like big on science um he actually took that time to tell me that uh like attitudes like that are going to be the reason why i don't amount to anything and on my sheet it's that i worked at loblaws part-time like tell you three three things about yourself so i worked at loblaws bakery and he's like and what like and you're why are you gonna work at loblaws the rest of your life so Like I said, I've wait, never wait, he said that he said that to you. Yeah, he said in, gonna... in front of the class, in front of the class. So, me being the person I am, again, I told you I've never swore at a teacher, I've never yelled at a teacher. So I went home, did like the Jamar thing, came back the next day, and I was unfortunately I just did it in a very articulate way, the way like I was raised, <laughs> and kind of. <laughs> I see where this is going. Go ahead. I found the math of like what like a Loblaws manager, store manager makes. <laughs> and what like I know he was an early teacher, what an early teacher made. Um, I did some math and figured out my college education, um, et cetera. I just basically broke down that like it's not so bad if I ended up, uh, you know, being a a person who works at Loblaws the rest of their life, according to the numbers, like essentially, I may actually make more than you in my lifetime. <laughs> um, and I was like, sir, in all due respect, I don't know if you're happy with your job, <laughs> but I'm happy with being a student right now. So I don't need you to like flick like your negative energy on me. So like, like I would appreciate it if you just don't speak to me for the rest of the semester, unless it has to do with schoolwork okay okay i got suspended again i got i got suspended uh i didn't swear <laughs> yeah i mean i could see that coming i mean yeah. like, like you 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 knew that was coming too i think i and didn't know it was coming because i thought i had a backup plan in the sense that we're not going to discuss that there's a bunch of students admitting to the fact that this grown man told me that I'm not going to amount to anything in life. We're just going to ignore the fact that a student told you that he was not interested in something. Instead of finding a way to make that interesting or finding a way to teach that where he may enjoy it, you just said, because that's the reason why you're not going to make it in life. And this is how, like, this is why I have so much respect for you in the, in the sense that you you will stand up for yourself right with me if it was me i would have been like okay like i already know the principal has it in for me 
And this teacher obviously has it in for me. Why escalate it further and uh, risk being suspended again? That would have been my mindset, right? But I feel like now I understand it. You 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 do need to speak up for yourself. You need to defend your honor, you know. And I think you did the right thing, to be honest. Yeah, just like I said, I, I can honestly say I grew up in a household where you're kind of taught to speak your mind in that sense. Um, no, you have to. You're defending your honor, right? Like that 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 man dishonored you in front of the whole class, and uh, they're not setting a very good example, obviously, on, on what. Like I, I've gotten literally that response before, Jamar. Mm-hmm. I've gotten that, like word for word. I only care about my grades. I never like science. In one of, the, I did the same survey stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And my response is like, okay, I'm gonna change that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this class so cool, so good that you can actually like science. That's my challenge. Like that's how I would have looked at it. You know what I mean? And I feel like that's how it should be looked at. Because then when I look back, it's like, okay. Maybe it's I, it has nothing to do with not liking science because that's what it came to me at, at a certain point because it's like I'm still doing well in the classes. It could have been a situation where it was like I got to grade nine and I just didn't have a good science teacher <laughs> who just yeah there's that too yeah. who refused to like like even try with me and because we didn't have a good rapport and because I was treated the way I was treated, it was like, and maybe I, it just turned me off of science in general. Right, that's, yeah, you soured on it, right? You had a bad experience in grade nine and you've soured on it. That's why I love teaching grade nine. I like, that's my goal, right? To get them to want to like science after they have uh, an experience in my grade nine class. That's why I always request grade nine. But that was the beauty of that whole story because fast forward years later, Jamar does work for the school board now. My first job was at my old high school. So I got a call to a classroom that needed staff support because of my job title as a TA, a BTA at the school. And he was calling me for support. Did he Did he know? He picked up on it. Yeah, he knew right away. Okay. So it was just like a weird, hey, you look very familiar. I'm like, yeah. I'm did here. you just come from Loblaws? <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> it's like I'm your former student. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you remember me. I, I was in your grade 10 science class. He knew. We had like a, you look someone in the eye like, yeah. <laughs> it's great to see you. you. I, think that, I, I, think that, I think you enjoyed that a little bit, huh? <laughs> I really enjoyed I was waiting for the day he called down to that contact room and said he needed staff support. I was waiting because I saw him in like the uh, staff, like <laughs> a staff meeting, but he didn't look my way. So I was waiting for the day where he was forced to see that I, I kind of did something in my life. <laughs> Yeah, so that's part of uh, what I want to talk about, right? Like going through life, having to prove yourself to everyone. Um, I actually, as I grew up, it it turned away from being trying to prove myself. When I was younger, I felt like that was the energy that I I had, where it's like, and that's the energy I was taught that you got to work like twice as hard to just get to their level, to be in the playing field. So it's like you're always like proving, proving. I got to prove myself. When I got older, it actually became a place where I would say I'm constantly 
trying to make everybody else feel comfortable with me. It sounds weird, but I think that was like the biggest thing of like that I learned growing up of being like a black male, like doing whatever I have to do to make others feel comfortable around me. Okay, so we'll get back to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's good. That's interesting. Um, okay, so let's go back to when you were a student. Mm-hmm. Um, were you an applied stream or academic stream? Oh, man, you're, you're bringing back like bad memories for me. Uh, <laughs> People have got to hear it. So I was actually told by my grade eight teacher to go to the applied stream because it's easier. So as a grade eight student, when a teacher is saying that it's easier, you're like, yeah. Unfortunately, I didn't have my mom. Hey, my you were mom, a kid, right? Like, that's mom forget worked, that, right? Kids are like, yeah, give me the easy stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> my mom worked three jobs. So she wasn't like, and she's still like someone who's new to the country, essentially. So she doesn't understand this stuff yet. So it's just like, I'm really making all these decisions as a grade eight student about my education at this point. I always tell the, the joke that like my mom didn't even know I was in college until like two weeks in. Uh, <laughs> right so as a grade 8 student I chose the apply stream because I was told like you should take this it's easier for you when I got to grade 9 I talked about switching it because it was too easy and the way it was explained to me by my guidance counselor in grade 9 is uh, instead of switching and put yourself in a position where you will not like may not succeed why don't you stay like essentially like just doing well at what you do so i was like an 85 applied student without trying fast forward i can honestly say it just got too easy stopped caring as much um and anybody who knows me knows i have a basketball background i think i got to like grade 12 i'm on this applied stream again i'm not very educated in things i start getting recruited to play at different schools. I think the first school in Canada that called for me was McMaster. I asked to see my report card, apply classes. Wait, what's the problem? I didn't even know it wasn't even explained to me until later on that like, I think in like grade 11, I kind of knew where it's like, but I couldn't change my stream at that point. I'd have to start all over again. So like to finally get to like grade 12, get what I'm working for and like schools are looking for me and it's like oh you won't even qualify for our school you're in apply classes and then it was the states the states were like oh you don't have the right classes um so I had like division twos and um it wasn't a d1 player but I had like division two full scholarships um Canadian scholarships that I just wasn't eligible for because I just didn't know from a young age that I had to take the academic out. Um, I was talking to uh, Coach Gorgalamore uh, a couple of episodes ago, and he used to tell me this all the time, that with his uh, he's a football coach, and he sees it all the time. A kid was about to get a break, but because they were streamed in grade, in grade nine, they're not eligible. And, they, and, and you know, you, you got through it, but... You know, many don't, and they they lose a huge opportunity to improve their education. Yeah, it really puts like a hinge in the road. I can honestly say I was lucky enough that I met a great coach at Sheridan College who, because I was such a good applied student, which was expected of me, 
um, I was able to get an academic scholarship to match my like basketball scholarship who made the education free at Sheridan. So I was lucky in that way. But again, like I got to college and it was clear that like, yes, it was great that I got the education there, but I needed something a little bit faster, more reading, more writing, more learning. So I needed to go to university, but I didn't need those first two years in college, but I kind of felt like I was forced to take it by not being like, rightfully educated and streamlining. Right. So if you were a pretty academic from the start, you probably would have skipped uh, Sheridan. I probably would have been playing. I probably would have played in the States. Probably. Oh, like okay. Division, Even, probably more. Even more different. Yeah. Yeah. I probably would have because been. You, you, how long were you in Sheridan for? A year? Two years? I, I did two years at Sheridan and got a social worker, social worker diploma. Then I transferred to university. So that's kind of like your way to transition from applied yeah. to academic almost, right? But much later in your life. Yeah. And then even when you get to university, you still got to prove because I was a great university, I mean, college student, but I still had to prove. So I still had to write like different tests just to get into my program. Oh, they still looked at your high school stuff. Yeah. They still look at oh. your high school. Wow. That's great. That's eye opening. And, and it's, uh, it's also on the news lately, right? Um, yeah. This is this is one example right here, anecdotal, if you will, but I'm sure it's everywhere. I'm, I'm sure stories like this are throughout uh, Ontario education, right? So this is uh, an important point when 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 people are advocating for a de-streaming. This is why mm. this like this is one of the reasons that it disproportionately hurts black students. Coaching sports. Uh- literally see it all the time and i even see it all the time with students who are not in sport just because like i said if you give a kid an easier route without some of the guidance that he probably doesn't have at the moment um here you're putting him in a situation where he's gonna take the easier route he's gonna go what's simpler just because he's a teenager (laughs) there yeah that's what kids do absolutely that's what kids do so, okay, so um, for your college and uh, university experiences, did you have any black professors or uh, teachers? I had one black professor um, at Sheridan, um, but I also sat they? in a lot of classes where I was like, "There's no black people." <laughs> that was my next question. Yeah, like how many black classmates did you have? My first year. Compare, compare college to university. Actually, that would be interesting. College, I had a lot more black people in my school, a lot more black people in my classes, a lot more blacks. Just my, it's it's definitely more minority. If anything, like you barely see white people. Interesting. And <laughs> like, uh, I seen like social work field, like I barely saw white people in my like class at Sheridan. So what about in university? You went to uh, Laurie, Wilfrid Laurier, yes? Yeah, so I went to Wilfrid Laurier. My first class, um, I had a sociology, intro to social, and I was, which everybody knows, like the halls, so there's like over 100 students in there. I was one of two black students. Yeah. At that point, I was like, did I make a mistake coming here? Like. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was one of I was definitely one of two black students. I remember it exactly. My first intro to sociology class. 
So probably like hundreds of students then, right? Hundreds of students, one of two. The other yeah. one was a black girl on the other side of the room. Man. So how, how does that feel to be the only black person in, in, in a class like that? Like, like I said, it's, it's a different experience. Like, like I said, when I was younger, it was more so like proving yourself. Yeah. And as I got older, it became making other feel, people feel comfortable. And especially I'm in university now where you're meeting people from all different areas, all different walks of life. Um, where I met a girl who said, like, you're literally the first black person I've ever spoken to. She's she's 18 and lives in Canada. Yeah, I mean the diversity that we always speak of, you know, it's a it's it's only like a half hour bubble, you know, like of, of, if you drive more than a half hour away from a GTA, the, the diversity disappears pretty quickly. So at that point, you go from trying to prove yourself to like, how do I make this situation comfortable in the sense of how do I not fit the stereotype? How do I like, and when I mean stereotype where it's like young black males are dangerous, black males are loud, black males are, are like gang members, black males do this, black males. So it's like, I got to like essentially change who I am to make people around me comfortable. Because if I, if I do anything of the sort where it's like, even if I get loud, it's not even seen as being loud. It's seen as being aggressive. So I had to learn quickly how to change my perspective on to make everybody feel comfortable. And even when I got older, I was like, this is exhausting. I just want to be able to be myself. Like I'm constantly watching what I'm doing and where I'm going to to make everybody who's around me more comfortable with their life. Well, this is actually a segment that we have. It's called, How Tired Are You? <laughs> yeah. How tired and- are you, Jamar? Oh, man, it was, especially, I can say, especially in my university years, it was very, very, very tiring. So to be the only, right, like to be the only whatever, right? But in yeah. this case, a black man, to fit in takes a lot of energy, it's, right? It's crazy an amount of energy because a lot of things get said that are like so disrespectful in ways so racist at times but they don't even know so you don't even like so this segment how tired are you is you know speaking of um microaggressions that's what the academics call it but uh to uh black people is just everyday racial uh violence basically and it's mentally exhausting to to have to go through to the society um expecting something out of you just for you to be able to be a functioning c- citizen in the society, this extra piece of energy that that the society is is taking from you is often unseen and unsaid. So, have you ever found yourself to be inauthentic to the point of being in, like not yourself in order to assimilate into whiteness? Uh, definitely, it took me some time to even uh, get comfortable with looking over like little things that are said and that's when i realized i wasn't being myself if you go back to like high school jamar middle school jamar i was told to speak my mind i get to university it's crazy that people know me they're like how are you university years it's like actually if you ask the people i went to school with they're gonna say jamar was one of the quietest people ever and then they look back and it's like no way jamar is like 
interactive talks, loud, whatever. Jamar was one of the quietest people ever because you get so worried on trying to make everybody else feel comfortable. I might say the wrong thing. Or when people are saying things to me, it's like, I just got to stay quiet to like hold my tongue because if I say something, it might come out as aggressive again, which has happened out in Waterloo sometimes where it was like, aggressive or you're doing so i just ended up being like a very 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 quiet student when i was at laurier yeah that's like um the invisible backpack right yeah because like a lot like i said a lot of things will will be said that i can understand where they don't realize how disrespectful that is my favorite one that i always used to hear at laurier is yeah but you're like a cool black guy you're not like and i'm like what does that even mean? You're like a nice black guy. What? What, what it means? <laughs> what it means? What it means? Okay, and I'm serious here. What it means is that in their mind, the default black guy is not nice. It's not cool. It's dangerous, right? That's what's unsaid. It's horrible. Or it's like, are you? It was frustrating. Where it's like, and I, and these are things I didn't have to see at Sheridan because I said again, my my classes were very multicultural. So it's like even little things where it's like, do you, do you play basketball here? Do you play football? Those are the first two questions, no matter what. Yeah, definitely. I can see that. I actually, that's like a funny story. I actually made sure I didn't take a picture. So even till this day, if you go back and you check Laurier's site, you can actually find me. If you go back, I'm the only kid on the team who didn't take a picture. For what? Like for... What do you mean yeah, didn't take like, a picture? For like the website and stuff. Because I got tired of just being like, oh, he's another kid who's here to just play basketball. So there were no other black guys on the team? There was two. There was two more. Yeah. There was two. Yeah. There was, yeah, there was, there was three of us on the team. I lived with one of them and the other one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I went to Waterloo and uh, I don't remember seeing any black people at, uh, on, on the <laughs> campus of Laurier. Yeah, is that, I visited. It's actually yeah. a very multicultural campus now. It's, it's it's definitely getting up there. Well, hopefully it's changing, you know, but uh, but the system remains though, right? Yeah. Do you have any uh, other examples of uh, o- overt uh, racism that is uh, that you experience? You know, being oh, pulled over by cops or being followed in a store. <laughs> Well, I I could literally say today I was, I I bought something from another store and I had to go to another store to go purchase it, but I didn't take a bag. And like, I've always, like right away, like somebody looked at me like I was crazy. A coworker was like, just, I was like, shoot, what am I going to do with, can I leave this in your car? And you could just wait here till I come back there. Like, why? I'm like, I don't want to walk in there with something that like I already purchased that may be in that store. <laughs> because I don't want them to think I stole something. She's like, why would they think you stole something? I'm like, this is one of those things that you... (laughs) (laughs) These are one of those things that you're not going to get. Like, like it's just, like, it's okay. There's a lot of that on a daily basis, Um, especially working in social services. I I see it a lot. Um, I see a lot of, like, definitely... Black people kind of get stereotyped in my in my line of work, um, and it's sad sometimes to watch. Um, it's hard sometimes to watch, but 
I'm finding my voice to speak up about those like specific situations where I'll be at work. We, and I'm not just talking about any specific type of workplaces. I've worked a lot of different places. Um, I've been at work. We get a black client um, who's a male, and automatically they he may sell drugs. He may be a pimp. Um, he may be da 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 this or if he's loud or aggressive. He's just loud, aggressive, and has anger management issues. Um, nobody wants to talk about maybe he has some mental health also. Maybe he's also dealing with trauma. Um, but that's, again, that black stereotype that we are the tough guys. We don't have these problems. We we have to kind of just, that, that has to be behavioral. It's not anything else. So that's in your role as a social worker for uh, social um, for housing, I believe. Yeah, well, that's my role, and every piece I've been in social work, I've kind of seen that and dealt with that. Um, I fostered for many years, so I, I did play a role of a parent for four years, uh, where I, I had four black teenage boys. Um, so I kind of walked through it with them, also, where I. I got to see like the school aspect, but I'm now I'm approaching it from a parent point of view where I know better. I've seen in education where I've seen parents of black students are seen as more aggressive and more, um, more demanding than others. Yeah. But it's only because they need to work that much harder to make sure that their kid is getting the same treatment as everyone else. It's it's really tough because like uh, it's 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 something that you can't see, especially if you are not living in that specific body, that specific experience. So for a lot of people who do try and understand things, I have to tell them sometimes like, yo, you just won't get this <laughs> um, until you're ready to like openly accept it and understand that these are things that are happening. Um, I'm very, very keen on that, that word racism, right? That I don't want to always call things racism. Just because that's the default, though. I feel yeah. like that's the default. You know, that's the system. And yeah. why is it worse to, to, to call somebody out for being a, a racism, for being racist, than actually being one? You know, like that, I've always said that. Being a racist is worse than being called one. Yeah. And I always say it is the system. Um, and that's what kind of creates racism. I'm a strong believer when I look at that word and definition that racism is power. Absolutely. Um, so I, sometimes like I can look at someone and I'm like, I can't blame you for using that power that you don't even know you have. <laughs> yeah. So, that's a tough one, right? That's yeah, the tough one. Some people don't even. It's like understand. a little kid wielding a sword, you know, it's yeah. like, it's, it's crazy. Where it's like, you don't even understand that you have that power. So you're looking at it like, nah, that person's just making up stories. <laughs> that person, that, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. What does he mean they're being racist? So right, we like, talked about earlier, right? Like you don't, if you don't know what you're doing, then, you know, it's it's hard to tell you mm-hmm. that what you're doing is wrong, right? But when, when you don't even see it, it's invisible. Is it difficult to talk about racism with your coworkers in your field? You know what? I'm, I literally, I, I think the world has taken a little bit of a shift recently. It was a small little moment, I think, in the, that is always going to be remembered. 
And I was honest with my like workplace when I did start talking to him about it. The only reason why I did start talking is because we gave like kind of a week as an organization statement surrounding the current issues that were going on in the world. So I just felt like they needed to be educated. And that's when I finally started speaking up. At first, it was difficult because, again, I'm that person trying to make everybody feel comfortable. So if I come out and talk about a lot of black issues sometimes, I'm seen as like, oh, he only cares about the black clients. He only knows how to work. Reverse racism. Reverse racism. (laughs) Yes, he only knows how to work with black (laughs) clients. And then when I try to like even like, it's crazy because I'll have like conversations with them where they're like, black people can be like, that's reverse. I've heard someone say that it is reverse racism. What you're doing is constantly pushing your issues on us. And I was like, so basically calling black people racist. (laughs) It's like, yes. And I was like, well, I'm a person who believes that it's impossible for us to be racist. Don't get me wrong. Black people are they they can like essentially be like be discriminate like like discriminate against other people. Don't get me wrong. Yes, they, yeah, they they yeah. can be prejudiced. They can be prejudiced, <laughs> but they don't hold enough power, right? Yeah. To be racist, like where where and what time are we able to control something? So it is hard to have those discussions without being seen as that black guy at work. <laughs> who always wants to call things out. And again, that goes back to my point of I live in a world where I'm constantly trying to make everybody else feel comfortable. But recently I said there's been a shift where it's like, why as essentially an oppressed person am I trying to make my oppressor feel comfortable? just doesn't make any sense. It's like saying you're being bullied (laughs) Go make the bully feel good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that those people in my workplace are oppressing me. I'm not saying like like we're an oppressed race. I'm not saying me is specific. But it took me some getting comfortable with to say like I need to speak up about some of these issues because me educating um, in ways opens the doors for the, the next generation of young black people coming. Yeah, you need to speak your truth, right? Like you were when you were younger to your grade ten teacher. Maybe, maybe with a little less sass, maybe. Hopefully, <laughs> I guess that, as you get older, man, it it really becomes a. I gotta make people feel comfortable to get to where I want to get to, and then yeah, I hear you. Once you're there, then you can kind of start navigating and speaking corners. But I hope that we can get to a place in society where young black people don't have to think that way that i have to change who i am to get where i want to be well it's it's also trained into you as well right yeah. from a very young age that you, you need to do this to for self preservation right yeah little things like you you speak professionally whitewash you're now white <laughs> yeah you have to uh you have that yeah, that's the inauthentic that we talked about earlier yeah. right like you, you you can't really be you because it hurts you yeah at the end the, at the end of the day it will come back and, and hurt you because that that is the default right mm-hmm. the default is you are last so how can we change that you know having these conversations are very important i think 
you know, as we end off here, you know, what, what are you hopeful for? Like, what, what are some things that we need to do, continue doing to keep, keep uh, the work going and not just, you know, obviously the, the, the current times, as you said, the recently is uh, the George Floyd killing, right? That, that changed everything. And along with uh, quarantine with COVID, it, 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 it shown a spotlight on it, right? Like uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Mm-hmm. His, his article right he wrote it's almost like a poem like well, how, how he ended the, the article right racism is like dust in the air right it's everywhere we breathe it in we don't even know it and until we shine a light on it that's when we see it right so we have to continue to shine a light on it so what do you see so it's tough for me because i'm also a strong believer of what like he was saying is that covid really gave re- like really amplified what was going on and really showed people um, what is happening in our society. And that's why it became like a world pandemic in a pandemic. The sad part is I'm a strong believer that it, if we were not in a health pandemic, that George Floyd killing kind of would have just been washed over. And the reason why I say that is because there was a black man who was choked out by police couple of years prior <laughs> so um i do eric garner trayvon yeah, martin i do Amir rice like there's so many yeah i do think the pandemic kind of like heightened things absolutely because there's nothing else right there's there's yeah. everything shut down and we're off the hamster wheel if you will right like the rat race mm-hmm. and uh we're, we're able to put that energy into it but we need to make that how do we make that the primary energy i guess and I don't think I, I know I've always said my goal is not to end racism because that's going to take it sounds crazy, but years because I always relate that racism back to power. And in order for there to be no racism, you actually have to balance the power. And it's going to be tough for people to give away. Power. Yes. yes. <laughs> who, who, who willingly gives up power in history? Willingly. It's, gives up power and already it's going to be even tougher because some for some people it's power they don't see or understand yes absolutely. so it's like how do i give you something that i don't even know i have i think for me it would be constant education what i'm seeing in this what's happening in the schools i think is a start and speaking from a person who was formerly in that educational stream. And I'm still like, I always say like in my line of work, I'm always educating and teaching on a daily basis, more black history to give black people purpose, something to think about. If I didn't grow up in certain houses, I wouldn't know that we learned in school. Thomas Edison made the light bulb. How come we don't talk about, the black man who created, <laughs> like he made a light bulb, boom, turned on, turned back off. Somebody created what needed to be done in order to keep that light running. Never learned about it in school. Wait, who's that? Wait, I, I don't know about this. Uh, wait, 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 you got to tell me now. <laughs> yeah, I, that's why I said, and you're a science teacher, so that's crazy. So like the black man who like made, Louis Latimer. Okay, that sounds familiar, but I don't know. I don't know. You got to tell me. Like the light bulb was created by Thomas Edison, but then obviously there's somebody who betters things. So like the innovation to like create like the light to actually last. So not just turn off and turn back off. That's what Thomas Edison was dealing with. Like my, I get light and it turns right back off. Lewis 
Latimer actually like created like the, I think it's like the, the filament then. He was a the guy that made the filament long lasting, the filament. Okay. And it's like, it's crazy to me where it's like, how come I never heard about that? It's, there's so many black creators where it's like, why am I waiting on random movies to come out to learn these things? Yeah, you're right. Catherine Johnson, right? Yeah. Like, why do I have to learn that I had to watch? I can't even remember what the movie's called. Um, to find out that three black women supported with sending the first, like, creating, like sending the first spaceship to the moon. Yeah. Rocket to the moon. I would have never known that. Hidden numbers, hidden, yeah, hidden, hidden, figures, hidden, hidden, hidden figures, figures. Yeah. Like, why don't I know this information? So I said that I think it's a start with the streamlining education and actually giving students an idea to learn about people who look like them. Okay, so I pledge to you, I will teach that in my grade nine class. When we teach <laughs> electricity, I will bring that man. I'll I'll do some homework. Louis Latimer. Yeah, Louis Latimer. Okay. I'll look that up. I'll I'll uh, make sure to incorporate that in my teaching. So right? would, when you know better, you you got to do better, right? Like that's always and, been the thing. And that would be my last point of things that I learned is people who see this and now they know better. I pray and I hope as like a society we start to do better in that aspect in terms of um, balancing out that power and trying to understand um, people more, understand situations. And giving them the same chance you would give everybody else. It starts with expanding your circles. You know, I yeah. really feel that. Like, like what you spoke about an eighteen-year-old who's never spoken to a black person. I mean, that's yeah. really tough to start as an infant in that in that sense, right? They're they're almost an infant in terms of learning about black people. Yeah, the closest. And, and not only that, it's almost negative. It's almost like like they're they're negative in age in that they have to erase all. They have to unlearn stuff. And that's right. What it was. <laughs> Literally unlearned so many things. They found it so weird. Some of the things that I did and some of the things I didn't do where it's like, wait, you don't like this rap artist? No, nah, I don't like every rap artist. <laughs> you, you listen to easy rock. Yeah. But I like music. Like I can't listen to easy rock. I can't like, <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. So it throws them off in so many aspects, but I think, Things are going to change. I hope so. Like in little ways, I always say when you have something big like this, you get a small change. So like that streamlining of education, I think is huge. Um, yeah, I have to keep building. I have to keep building, push forward. Uh, the work is never done. Yeah, more awareness of things, right? So it's just like take what you can. <laughs> it sounds terrible, but that's kind of how you're raised as like a black. Take what you can get. But now I feel like as a society, we're now reaching for more where it's like we're tired of just taking what we're given or taking what we can get. Let's go for more and trying to balance out this playing field in ways. So as we end off here, I think that's a good point to uh, to move forward with. I feel like this generation, this younger generation that uh, I'm teaching right now, they're very open. They're, you know, very diverse. Yeah. yeah. But we can't expect them to do the work, right? They are still young, as you said earlier, right? They're going to take the easy way out because they're teenagers. So what we need to do as educators, as the older generation, is to learn ourselves and to model it for them so that they can take the baton, so to speak, right? To push it further um, and make the world a better place, right? That's yes. the goal. Thank you. I, please, I I definitely will preach that to everybody to do 
some research. Really try and understand them. Talk to people. Do your own research at the same time too because it can be really, really tiring as we use that word again. How tired are you? (laughs) (laughs) It can be very, very tiring to deal with what we have to deal with on a daily basis and teach at the same time. Because right now we're neglecting our feelings. We're neglecting what's going on. (laughs) And if you have to teach them, you should uh, be be paid for that too. Don't forget, you know? (laughs) And that's a it's your time and energy, right? Like it's like it's that that's a type of racism, right? Like that's it's like, hey man, teach me about how not to oppress you, you know? Like come on now. Yes, just do some research because again, like I always tell people, we do grieve when we see like things happening in the media. We need a second when we come into work the next day to like not talk about it right away to not hear opinions that like people forget, like we're grieving as people sometimes. And that's that comfortability again, where you go into work and what you just saw on live TV, you got to act like everything is okay. You got to make everybody feel comfortable. Everything is okay. You don't want to step on any line saying, are you like, so do some research, please. It's not hard. Just Google. (laughs) We're very lucky generation. Try and do some research for yourself. Okay, Jamar. I think we've broken the record. This is my longest podcast yet. I really appreciate your time, man. Like oh, this no, was great. No problem. I'm sorry for breaking the record. Whoever comes after. No, me. man. No, 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 no. This is good. This is good. So next time, I'm gonna have you back uh, when we talk a little uh, about sports, eh? Oh, please. Yeah. <laughs> the NBA is back. Please. Baseball's right, well, back. Everything's back. Let's do it. <laughs> well, sort of. We'll see. That's yeah. something to talk about. So, uh, thanks again. I'll uh, talk to you soon, man. Take care. This is the epilogue. After speaking with Jamar, I reflected on my schooling experience and what struck me was how trivial some of the things that Jamar did that got him suspended. It was clear that this vice principal was prejudiced against him. You know, he was never suspended before or after this uh, principal was in his life. And I just felt like at that age, grade 9, 10, 11, you know, as a teenager, it was very normal to rebel against rules and to push back, to not conform. That's a very normal thing. It also made me think about the times that I didn't conform, didn't follow the quote-unquote rules that were given to me by my teachers. And I thought about my hat wearing. I wore a hat for the majority of my time in high school. Probably, you know, 75% of the time when I went to school, going to class, I wore a hat. Mostly because I wake up late and didn't want to style my hair or anything. And uh, in grade 12, there was this one uh, math teacher, Miss Toth, she was known to be a disciplinarian and uh, she had a no hat rule in her class of course i didn't i kind of just heard about it i wasn't in her class yet this is at the beginning of the semester and one of my friends who was white told me that one time when he used to be in her class he defied her and said no i'm not taking on my hat and eventually she gave in and let him wear his hat for the rest of the year in class So here I am in in her class, sure enough, a 
few days in the class, I show up with a hat and uh, she told me to take it off. And I said, no, no, I, I, I choose not to, I don't want to. And uh, there's a bit of an exchange and I don't remember exactly what was said between uh, me and her, but definitely at some point I said, you know, my hair is really messy. So if I take off my hat, it's actually more disrespectful to you. And after a while, she just kind of uh, dropped it. She never pushed me uh, further to take off the hat or call, call the office or anything like that. And I think I even said to her that there's no hat rule in this school. Why are you making me take off my hat? Um, part of it was just I, I really didn't want to take off the hat. And, and part of it is just like I, I didn't want to uh, follow the rules that day, I guess. I wanted to push back against someone in authority. So I got to keep my hat on for the rest of the year. But I remember afterwards, though, I worked really hard to make sure my I did really well in the next test. So she wouldn't bother me again. And it's a story I do tell my students that, yeah, I pushed back. You know, I I was sassy and, and, and defied authority, but uh, I had to back it up, too. So I think I got like over 100 percent on the next test. Like, you know, even the bonus questions, I, I, I got correct. And she really never picked on me again for the rest of the year. Funny enough, at the end of the year, I was getting yearbook messages uh, from my classmates of that class, writing, you know, commending me for standing up to such a tough teacher. Now that I think back, you know, if I was black, what would have happened? Would she have called the office? Would I have been suspended? Hats in school in general is a contentious thing. I've had many discussions over the years about it and I've seen arguments play play out uh, in staff meetings and whatnot. Funny enough, uh, fast forward to my first year of teaching uh, during my teacher mentorship program with uh, my department head, my first year of teaching. Uh, when I showed up to the professional development session, I did not dress as a teacher. I dressed as myself and I was wearing a hat. The first thing he said to me was, let me give you some mentoring right now. Take out that hat before you go in there. I didn't push back. I, I wish I did, because what's he to say how I should dress? Whose norms are we following here? And I was very uncomfortable. Like, it, did, it was not a good start to that uh, professional development session. Even more ironic, I taught at a no hat school for 11 years and I was part of the enforcement team because I was a teacher and that was a school rule. But because it was the rule of a workplace, I just felt compelled to do my job and ask students to take off their hat when, when I see in the hallways or in my class. And luckily, I didn't have a lot of uh, confrontations over it, but there were some. And every time I asked a student to remove their hat and, and when they refused and, and we have an exchange, I felt really hypocritical about it. I even tell them, you know, I, I, I understand. I wore a hat in high school and I wouldn't like it, but those are the rules of the school, unfortunately. And I'm just trying to do my job. And usually the students do, do respect me and do take off their hat. And uh, I kind of just get away from them as soon as I can so they can put it back on when I turn my back to them. Um, I don't try to catch them wearing it again, you know, that kind of thing. Gotcha, or, or whatever. But should I have pushed back? 
as a teacher on, on the rule in staff meetings uh, to my administration and to other veteran teachers of the school who was uh, vehemently for a hat rule in the school. Um, I don't know, but I think I was too young and not sure of myself to be able to uh, bring that up. My current school does not have a hat rule, so it was kind of jarring, you know, to be in an environment where I was the police for for 11 years to the point where if I see young people in the mall wearing a hat, I felt like saying something. I was trained in, in that sense. I just think the hat rule has to do with power. And in my example, the, the power dynamics changes. You know, I was once the, the, the student who was told to have to take off their hat and then as a teacher, I became the enforcer. Systemic racism is the combination of power and prejudice. So if you have someone that's prejudiced against a certain group of people and they hold power over them, that's a recipe for racism. And black people are disproportionately a target of racism. And what kind of prejudices do I have? I'm sure I have them. After all, I grew up here in Canada and have been exposed to the North American culture. And now I'm in a position of power as a teacher in the classroom, often working with young black people. I'm sure there were instances where my biases and prejudices, along with my power, have hurt some students in the past. So because the society and system I live in is racist by default, it's not enough just to be not racist. It's important to continue to reflect on my actions and do my best to be an anti-racist. To have that mindset in my everyday life, especially when I hold power in a classroom. The status quo is hurting people like my friend Jamar. Thanks for listening.